I have a pet peeve with our culture. And that has to do with how we have dealt with one of the most important times of interaction within a family. And that is mealtime. For millennia, that means thousands of years, the idea of the meal, the idea of coming together as a family, coming together with friends and people to fellowship, to share stories, to hear about your day. Chris, can we hit the clock real quick, too? I know. Um, all of that was a part of the meal time. It was an important time. And it wasn't necessarily something that was planned. It was just what happened. The family would get together, usually at the you know, later in the afternoon, early evening, and they would eat together, and then they would you know, go off and, and, and be asleep for the rest of the evening, and the day would start the next day. And that no longer is true. I truly, I grieve when I am in a restaurant and I look over and there's a family of a mom, a dad, and several children. And none of them are looking at each other. None of them are talking to each other. They're like this the whole time. That grieves me. There is so much research so many studies that have demonstrated the importance of a family spending that meal time together, of sharing the stories. My, my kids know the story of our family. The, they, they know the story of, of you know, their, their grandfather, who was just this wild guy and you know, had uh, brought a monkey aboard ship after the Spanish-American War and how the monkey got out and, and ran across the captain's log and put paw prints with ink all over it. And, and they know the different stories of our lives. And, and that sense of camaraderie, that sense of purpose, that sense of reason, that sense of understanding, much of it developed around the mealtime. But we've lost it or are losing it. There's a company in Australia that came up with a great idea. It's actually a spaghetti company. And they saw how the, the mealtime was beginning to kind of come apart. And so they developed this. And I know at the end, some of you are going to say, where do I get that? But watch what they did.
bad news. It's not on the market yet. As we're involved in Genesis chapter 18, and I invite you to, in, to turn your Bibles to that passage, we are dealing with the idea of a mealtime. We are dealing with the concept of dinner fellowship. And one of the focuses of this passage is the fact that someone special comes to dinner. And the whole idea is that it is not people distracted and pulled apart, but rather that all those involved are connecting and fellowshipping and enjoying the interaction with one another. But what is unique, what is special in Genesis chapter 18, is that the one that comes to dinner is God himself. And the focus is upon the relationship that exists between Abraham and God. And that this meal is a time of fellowship, a time of relationship, a time of, if you want, intimacy between this one who is an enjoyer of the covenant that God has made with him and God himself. And there's this wonderful interaction that takes place. And as we look at Genesis chapter 18, I do not want us to think about the modern mealtime. I want us to think about what mealtime has been for so many millennia, thousands of years. A time of fellowship, a time of sharing, a time of revealing who we are to one another. And all of those aspects are a part of what takes place in Genesis chapter 18. Now, one of the other things you need to understand about Genesis 18 is that the writer, Moses, as he is writing this, is going to contrast for us Genesis chapter 18, where God is fellowshipping with that one who is seeking to walk before him blameless, meaning to, to live out the reality of the relationship. Contrasting Genesis 18 with Abraham and Sarah and that family, with Genesis chapter 19, with these two cities you might have heard of. They're called Sodom and Gomorrah. And the idea is this. This is how God interacts with those who seek to be in relationship with him. And this is how God will have to respond to those who ultimately, and yes, quintessentially, reject him. So as we look at Genesis chapter 18, it is a way for the writer of Genesis, Moses, it is a way for God to proclaim to us, I love my people, and I love to fellowship with them. We talk about our enjoyment of fellowshipping with God, and that's right. That's good. But I want us to think on the other side. God really loves to spend time with his children. It's not a chore. It's not a difficulty. It's his joy. And he wants to spend time with you. As we come to Genesis chapter 18, and again, if you haven't turned there, I invite you to turn there. This is what we understand, that God reveals himself 
during the times of fellowship, he enjoys sharing with his people. I learned more, especially when my children grew up, and they were in their, like, beginning 20s and and mid-20s. I learned more about the things they did when they were teenagers around the mealtime. Because it was a time that their defenses were down, and I heard the stories. I got to know them. God says, there are times that I want to fellowship with you so that the Lord enjoys that time and we get to know him. Now, the first thing we come to understand is that God delights in dining with his people. And as you begin there in Genesis chapter 18, there's something that we need to notice very quickly. And the writer wants us to know this from the very beginning. And so he does what often Hebrew writers and and the writers of this time will do. He as the narrator, he as the one telling the story about Abram, gives us an insight into what's going to happen and then sort of develops that insight. And he begins there by coming in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, and says, the Lord appears to Abraham. We know that. Abraham won't know that for a few verses yet. But as you begin to look at that, as you read down through those uh, first eight verses, there's this wonderful interaction that's taking place between God and his people, between God and this one who is his child, this one who he loves, this one who he's seeking to pour out his blessing upon in response to Abraham's faith. And the first thing you notice there is that God initiates the fellowship. It is God who comes to Abraham. It is God that begins this interaction. It is God that begins this meal. It is God that shows up at this place and allows the opportunity for Abraham and his family to interact with God. Now, hold on to that. Because that is a truth that dominates our lives. It isn't necessarily that we seek God, although in our responses we do as his children. But ultimately, it's God that seeks us. It's God that wants to spend time with us. It's God that wants to fellowship with us now and listen forever. And he's the one that initiates it. It says there in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, it's the Lord that appears. It's the Lord as they look up and they see him coming towards them. And how this happened, you know, Moses just kind of reveals the mystery of God. The answer is to how this happened is, I don't know. You know, did they just kind of appear right out of the out of the, the desert? Did they, you know, was he asleep and suddenly they're standing before him? We don't know. But God showed up. God came. The second thing is that God awaits our response for fellowship. God doesn't barge into our lives. God doesn't force his way in. When our kids were little, here was the rule. You were home for supper time. Don't give me an excuse. And the one I hate it the most, the, the, the Xboxes and all that were just coming out. And we'd be at the mealtime and we'd yell back, you know, Hey, hey, gang, it's time for supper, and I hear this. Wait a minute, i got to save the game. 
<laughs> you know what my response was? I'll save it. God doesn't work that way. God says, hey, folks, I'm here for supper. And he waits for us to respond. He waits for us to accept and to invite him into our lives and into our relationship and into all that we do. As you look there, it is God that waits. And finally, Abram says to to these visitors that have come before him in verse 3, Abraham says, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. And by the way, there, my Lord there is probably sir. Not, Not at this point, my Lord God. That I think comes a little later. Abraham knows something special about these folks. I don't, we don't know how, but he knows something is unique and he will honor them in some very special ways. But at this point, he's just being a, a good host and he's inviting them in. But it's so interesting that God waits for Abraham to invite him in. And then the third thing we see in this text is that God delights in our response to his invitation for fellowship. It is so interesting that the dominant part of this little section of these eight verses is describing the meal, is describing what Abraham does in response. The focus is, look how he responded. Look how much God is honoring what he does. And as you read down there, it says, if you found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you will all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. God responds, do as you say. And then listen. Well, I'm going to read this, and none of you are going to go, Oh, but you should. It says, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of fine flour. Go, ooh, oh, do that, please. Oh, very good. Okay. Goes on to say, and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and he has selected a choice tender calf. Give it to me. Very good. And he says to the servant, Harry, prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set these before him. And he stood by as they ate. Give it to me. All right, I'm glad you understand it. Let's move on. Why did we do that? Because Abraham responds extravagantly. Abraham understands something's going on here. And he responds in amazing ways. Three sia of flour is about 20 quarts of flour. I'm not a baker. But I know this, 20 quarts of flour makes a lot of bread. There's an extravagance here. Now, you often would serve bread, but then we go on. And it says, not that he slaughtered a ram or a sheep. He slaughters a calf. They got steak. That was unheard of. And then the curds and the milk to just add flavor and spice to it all. And God honors that. 
God is pleased when we take seriously our time of fellowship, our meals, if you like, with him. Now, all of these are not simply an Old Testament narrative concept. The New Testament proclaims exactly the same thing. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. And by the way, this is not a verse about salvation. In Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea has a problem. They've lost their first love. They've lost that sense of excitement about their relationship with God, and they become lukewarm. They've just become nothing in that relationship with God. And in the midst of that interaction, in the midst of coming to his people, coming to those who are in covenant with him, Jesus comes and says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. I want to come in. I want to have fellowship. I want to interact. I want to be a part of your life. I want to be a part of your story and you to know my story. Here I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and you open it, ah, I'll come in. And notice the image. And I'll eat with him. And he will eat with me. Now, obviously, the relation starts with my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. When when somebody understands that Jesus died for them, when somebody understands that my faith and what he accomplished and accepting his gift is what satisfies God's standards and God accepts me on the basis of what Jesus did, that begins the relationship. But that relationship is all through my life and over and over and over again as I struggle on a day-by-day basis to keep the reality of Jesus in my life ever before my face the Lord is there knocking saying child I'd love to have dinner with you I'd love that time of interaction just simply invite me and I'll love to interact That concept of meal, Fred, you did such a great job this morning in dealing with communion and reminding us that this is a covenant meal. This is a time when God invites us to partake of a unique meal that reminds us of his presence. He uniquely dwells in those times when we gather together to worship him. Jesus said where two or three are gathered in his name, he is uniquely there. He's knocking on the door saying, I'd love to fellowship with you. So the passage that Fred read out of Luke 22, when it says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And as Fred said so well, it's not just the apostles and the disciples that he longs to do that with. He longs to do it with all of his children. For us to spend time with him, And then he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup, the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. It is in that interaction that Jesus reminds us, as we partook of these elements this morning, Jesus reminds us 
that he longs and enjoys for that fellowship with us. And one of the things to notice about communion, and I, I accept the way we do communion. It's okay. As part of our service, we take time, we, we set it a time, we, we remember the bread, we remember the cup, and we have those little pieces, and we have the, the little cups of, of juice and all the rest. But remember, this was part of a meal. This was a Passover meal. This was sitting around with the common things of that meal, with common bread for the Passover, and the common cup that was part of it. And what Jesus was saying is, in the midst of the commonness of our life, in the midst of the normalness of our lives, Jesus is with us. He's present. It's why, as a church, we have even evening communions every so often. We don't just do that because we like the potlucks. We do. Why do we do that? To remind us. This is a meal. This is a time of fellowship. A time to share our stories, to hear what God is doing in your life, and for you to hear what God is doing in my life. And in the context of that, to be reminded that God loves to spend time with his children, and we praise and we glorify and we honor him. To remind us that it is Jesus' presence in the midst of our everyday activity. To remind us that he loves to spend time with his children. Now, in the Old Testament, it's given in the context of, of a literal meal. But in our spiritual relationship with Jesus, to dine or to fellowship with God now is to inhabit those places in which God uniquely dwells. There are places where God is uniquely present. And as we interact with those, we have that fellowship with God. One of them is in God's word. As we we read God's word and as we study God's word and as we meditate upon God's word, these are God's love letters. These are God's stories. These are the stories around the mealtime where God says, you want to know what I'm like? Read about it. Listen to it. I want to dwell with you. I want you to know me. I will reveal myself to you. God uniquely dwells within his word. God uniquely dwells within worship. And one of the cool things about worship is our focus in worship is to glorify and honor and bless God. But God is wonderful. In that focus of seeking to bless him, guess what he does? He encourages and he blesses us. How many times have we sung a song on Sunday mornings, one of the choruses, and all week long you find yourself just kind of repeating it, thinking through the words? God's saying, let's fellowship together. Or you hear something that somebody shares or somebody talks about, or you know, maybe I say or one of the worship leaders says, and it just sticks with you. God is spending time in revealing himself to us. Another place where God dwells is in in our community. 
where two or three are gathered. And yes, it can be like this on a Sunday morning, but it can be within the small groups. It can be within sitting down at a, at a meal together at a restaurant with other believers and other people, and you're sharing stories with one another. And in the process, you are being encouraged and they are being encouraged. Or it's when somebody comes alongside of you and in the midst of your walk, whether it be celebration or it be sorrow, they come and they say, I am with you. And through that interaction, you get a sense of God's love and presence. But one of the most important places where we fellowship with God is in our time of individual worship, our time of prayer. And I hope that as you are growing in your relationship with the Lord, prayer is less and less about the things that I want. That's legitimate to pray for those things. And it's more and more about spending time with our incredible Father. A time to be quiet before him. A time to let him reveal the things in your life that he's working on, both that which he's improving and that which he may be removing. A time to listen to his word as he brings to mind the things that that are a part of our lives that we need to deal with. And God is revealing himself as we're in that time of fellowship with him. Beloved, God loves that time. A friend of mine, some of you know the name Larry Crabb, and I worked with him, and he was a friend. And he has a mentor, and uh, the mentor's name is Brennan Manning. Again, you may know that name. And one day, Larry shared that he was sharing with Brennan Manning. And Brennan Manning said to Larry Crabb, I'm, I'm going away this weekend. I'm going to spend just a quiet retreat, just quiet off by myself with the Lord. And just, just not speaking, not thinking, just thinking, uh, not, not acti- active, but just thinking about the Lord. And, and Larry Crabb looked at Brennan Manning and said, well, What are you going to get out of it? And Brennan Manning turned to him and said, I don't understand that question. He said, I'm not doing this because I get something out of it. I'm doing this because my father enjoys it and is pleased by it. And because he longs to be in fellowship with me And I long to please him. God longs to be in fellowship with his children. And now it is a spiritual reality. But there's a day when it will be physical. When we will literally sit down with our Father and our Savior with the unique presence of the Holy Spirit like we have never experienced it. And we will literally eat a meal with God and his people. Revelation chapter 19 ends, as you come to an end, with a meal. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear the, 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 the acts that we've done, the righteousness that we've done through our lives. And then the angels will say to me, right, blessed are those 
who are invited to this incredible time of fellowship and sharing. Can't you wait to hear the stories on that day? Can't you wait to to hear what God has to say about what he has been doing in eternity and unto eternity? God longs to be in fellowship with his children. It's a major part of, of how he talks about his interaction with us. But the other reality is that in those times of fellowship, our Father reveals his awesomeness. And beginning in verse 9, there's a shift away from Abraham and to Sarah. A shift away from the meal and towards the revelation. And God, in the presence of Abraham and probably Sarah for the first time, it seems like Sarah didn't know that she was about to have a baby. At 90, that's understandable. But in the interaction that follows, beginning there in Genesis chapter 3, and beginning in verse 9, the Lord says, where's Sarah? I have something to say to her. And just very, very quickly, God reveals three things about himself, or four things. First, he reveals the grandeur of his plan for our lives. That last song that we sang, God has a purpose and a meaning and a, and a design for my life. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how insignificant you feel. As you are a part of the body of Christ, both its universal and its local manifestations, God says, I have a part for you to play. I've designed you to be a part of my kingdom and to be a part of my purpose and will. Your personality, your gifting, your experiences, your life, I have sovereignly designed. And that's what he says to Sarah. Sarah, I know you're 90 years old. And you know, God didn't go, oh man, I didn't know that. I know that you're, you know, beyond menopause, that, that everything is stopped. And literally in the Hebrew, it says that which was the coming and going of women had stopped. Let me understand what that means. God says, I know you feel worthless. In fact, Sarah says of herself, I'm just old and dried up. There's nothing left. God says, no, Sarah, I see you differently. God reveals the goodness of his evaluation of our lives, that he values who we are. How do you see that? It goes on to say as he's interacting in verse 15, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Uh, no, wait, no. I'm sorry, up in verse uh, 13. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself, and she said, now that I am dried up, what good am I, basically is the translation. Then the Lord says, why did you laugh, Sarah? And she says, well, I really have a child now that I'm old. Then he says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? I will return at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah says, I'm old and dried up. God simply says, okay, you're up in age, but there's no put down. There's no disrespect. There's no contempt. God values who Sarah is. Thirdly, God reveals the greatness of his power in the midst of our doubt. 
Sarah laughs inwardly. And the, the key verse to this whole section is this. Is anything too wonderful for God? Is anything impossible for God? And the idea there is anything which man cannot accomplish, is that too hard for God? And then finally, God reveals the gentleness of his grace in the midst of our failure. Sarah laughs, laughs inwardly. God says to Sarah, Sarah, why'd you laugh? And what does she say? I didn't laugh. Well, that's a half-truth. She didn't laugh outwardly. She laughed inwardly. But God deals with her doubt, opens the question, and basically it's this, Sarah, will you trust me? And by the birth of Isaac in the later chapters, the answer is yes. My question as we end is this, how is your mealtime with the Lord? Do I avoid it? Is it something I haven't been involved in? Those places where God uniquely dwells, do I pursue them? Am I distracted? I know our lives are busy. Bill Hybel has a wonderful book, and the title of it is this, Too Busy Not to Pray. To say, this is important. This is central. Do you pursue it? Do you say, this is important, this is essential. I know it pleases my Father, and he will use this in my life too. And then finally, do I cherish it? Do I protect it? Do I pursue those times where I can enjoy my relationship with God? And here's the amazing wild part. And he enjoys his relationship with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example given to us in the life of Abraham and Sarah. May we understand the wonderful joy that comes to us, yes, in the midst of this fellowship, but Father, also that you enjoy spending time with your people and with your children. You invite us, you provide the opportunities, and we pray that we would be those who seek it, who pursue it, who cherish it, and make it a part of our lives to spend that time in those places where you are uniquely present. Father, it begins with a relationship with you through your son by placing our faith and trust in what he did for us. And each Sunday we invite anyone who is not certain of that relationship to come and speak to me or someone else about how they can know that. And Father, those of us who are sure of that relationship and know we enjoy that relationship, Help us to be about the times when we can fellowship and enjoy your presence continually, always, and uniquely in those places where you uniquely dwell. We ask it all in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.